worship. this morning. I feel like it's been a while since I spoke on a Sunday morning, so I'm excited for this morning. Got my, my coffee ready to go. Got to stay caffeinated. You know, who's got their coffee this morning? Or you're like, I already had it. Um, <laughs> um, well, first, I just want to say um, I am super honored to be a part of this house and uh, I'm super thankful for our leaders, Apostle Tom and Katie. Uh, they are in Dallas right now. Apostle Tom is probably done, but he, uh, he spoke at William Hinn's church this morning, Risen Nation. William had him come out. And so they're in Dallas right now, so be praying for them, for their travels back. And uh, I'm just so thankful for this family. I am so thankful for this church. Uh, and very honored to be able to minister in this church and to get to, you know, share this, 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 this platform and stand behind this pulpit. I don't count it a, I count it a privilege. And uh, I've realized the privilege it is having gotten to be up here the times that I have. And so very thankful. And so let's just start with prayer. So Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time of gathering and of assembling together. Lord, we just thank you for your church. We thank you for your family. We thank you for the fathers and mothers that you have established to raise sons and daughters all throughout the earth, Lord. And we thank you for, for, for doing it in this family, in this house, in this place, and in this time. God, we just thank you. You are such a good father, and we love you, Lord. And so everyone, would you pray this with me? Say, Heavenly Father, would you give me eyes to see? ears to hear, and a heart of understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we all also take a moment and just give thanks to King Jesus and give him some praise in the house this morning? Come on, we love you, Jesus. We praise you, Lord. Thank you for your blood and for what you've done. Thank you, Lord. Amen. All right, I want to ask you a question. Can I ask you a question? Is that okay? What if I told you that there were a hidden virtue that in essence is the key to all of life? It unlocks the purpose of your existence. It attracts the presence, protection, and providence of your creator. It's the root of all noble character, the foundation of all happiness, and provides needed adjustments to all inharmonious circumstances that you can face. To firmly embrace this virtue will lengthen your life, it will secure good health, it will ensure success and safety, it will eliminate lack and guarantee a noble legacy. This virtue guarantees wisdom, long life, success, honor, wealth, safety, happiness, and the success of your children. It guarantees happiness, peace, safety, security, and confidence. If, if I were to tell you that there were a virtue available that guaranteed all of those things, would you believe me? Wow, you guys are amazing. <laughs> well, that virtue is carried with those promises all throughout Scripture, and it's called the fear of God. 
And so I want to, my goal today is that we would understand our need for the holy fear of God, that we would understand the value of it, what it is and what it is not, and that we would eagerly and earnestly desire it, and that we would understand signs that you have it or that you don't. Amen? Does that sound like an okay journey? So... Come on. I like you guys. Y'all are hungry. Jesus. So I want to start with uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. So how many of you know who wrote Ecclesiastes? Solomon. It's probably one of the most avoided books by most preachers. <laughs> because he said things like, everything is boring, utterly boring. The day that a man dies is better than the day he lives. What is wrong cannot be made right. It's just like super cynical. <laughs> so, oh goodness, I can't even find it. Ecclesiastes. So at the end of the chapter, so the reason that he wrote this book is he, he comes to basically the end of his life. And what Solomon had, how many of you know what Solomon was most known for? Wisdom. Now, if you read Solomon's writings that he learned from his father David, he said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, which the word beginning means the, the origin. It's the origination of wisdom. All true wisdom begins with and comes from the fear of God. And so David taught Solomon to fear God. David taught him to treasure this, this virtue, this, this gift, this character trait. This act of nobility is to fear the Lord. And Solomon had it, but throughout his life, his heart turned away from the Lord and he lost it. And it leads to him writing Ecclesiastes as this kind of pessimistic cynic. And, but he ends the book with this. And he, he goes through the first uh, seven verses of chapter 12, essentially giving seven different admonitions to remember your creator. Remember your creator. And specifically, he's speaking to the youth. He's saying, in the days of your youth, remember your creator before you grow old. And the, the conclusion of the whole book, like if you want to know what Ecclesiastes is all about and what it means, uh, the end of it is in verse 13. He says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. This is man's all, and the word all means entirety, the wholeness. The sum total of man is to fear God. Let that sink in for a minute. The sum of who you are, the essence of why you're alive, is to fear him and obey him. Now, if we don't understand what the fear of the Lord is, that can produce fear. <laughs> but we have to understand there is a difference. There's a difference, and we're going to get into it. There's a difference between the spirit of fear and the fear of God. I'll get to it probably later. We'll maybe come back to it, but you'll see this in Exodus chapter 20 when God comes down on Mount Sinai, and Moses tells the people, he says, do not be afraid, but fear. <laughs> Is he speaking, you know, out of both sides of his mouth? No, there's a difference between being afraid of God and fearing God. To be, I love this, this definition. The person that is afraid of God has something to hide. But the person that fears God has nothing to hide. 
So the people, being afraid of God, withdrew from him, but while Moses, in the fear of God, drew near to him. See, we've been talking about worship, and, and Kendall started it off. Pastor Kendall, where is she? Is she in the room? Anyways, who are, who, how many of you were blessed by Pastor Kendall's message? Wasn't that awesome? The, 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 the warfare of worship that is just wonderful. If you didn't watch it, go back and watch it. Uh, then Apostle Tom talked about, uh, continuing on that, the, the, he talked about the tabernacle and how we enter into a place of fellowship and intimacy with God. Pastor Jared taught on uh, prayer, the importance of prayer and why we do it. And so to truly worship God, we, we have to understand the fear of God and we have to fear him. For example, in Genesis chapter 22, when Abraham offers his son Isaac, it's the first time that, the, that, that, that worship is mentioned. It says that Abraham went to worship the Lord. He said, we're going to go yonder and worship the Lord. And then what, what happens? It says that, that the, he raises the knife and the angel appears and says, hey, Abraham, Abraham, stop. And he goes, now I know that you fear God. So the fear of God and worship are inseparable. And that's why it's so important that we have a, an understanding of the healthy, holy fear of God. Amen? Because there is a thing called unholy fear. Unholy fear is when, you know, the scriptures talk about, do not be afraid. But holy fear will actually cause us to draw near to God. When you possess holy fear, his holiness becomes irresistible. You, be, you, you can't help but draw near to your creator, to earnestly seek him and to desire him, to lay aside everything else so that you can lay hold of him. Amen? But when you're afraid of God, you run from him. You want to hide from him like Adam and Eve, right? They hid from the Lord. They didn't draw near. Why? Because they had something to hide. You see? Come on, somebody. Is that good? Okay. So this is man's whole entirety, everything, all, to fear God and obey his commands. All right. So we, we were talking about contrasting fears. So some people will say, well, we're in the New Testament. We don't need to fear God because perfect love casts out fear. But again, the fear of God and being afraid of him are not the same thing. So I love, the, I love this example Jesus said, the, way is the gate is narrow and the way is narrow, right? So picture the Christian life as a road that you're walking on, okay? There's two ditches on each side of the road. One ditch is the ditch of legalism. How many of you want to be legalists? Good. <laughs> the other ditch is lawlessness. How many of you want to live in the ditch of lawlessness? So the fear of the Lord will keep you out of the ditch of lawlessness. Does that make sense? Come on. Oswald Chambers said that the, the supreme revelation of God is his holiness, and at the center of his holiness is his love. Because God is love. Amen? And when, when the, the only thing that you have a supreme reverence for is the person of love himself, you won't fear anything else because he's the one thing you fear. 
Amen? Amen. Come on. Jesus. Okay. Let's, let's, let's try to define holy fear. Let's give a, uh, some definitions for it. To fear God is to reverence and be in complete awe of him. To fear God is to esteem, respect, honor, venerate, and adore him above anyone or anything else. We love what he loves and we hate what he hates. What is important to him becomes important to us. To fear God is to hate all manner of evil, sin, and injustice. To fear God is to depart from evil in every sense, thought, word, and action. To fear God is to give him the praise, adoration, thanksgiving, and worship he deserves. To fear God is to give him all that belongs to him. To fear God is to tremble before him in wonder and awe. To give his word and presence our full attention. Let's read that one again. To fear God is to tremble before him in wonder and awe to give his word and presence our full attention. The fear of God is to obey him. It's not just a desire, but an inward force determined to carry out his will no matter the cost. We eagerly, willingly, and immediately obey. Even if we don't see a benefit, it doesn't make sense, and we'll carry it out to completion. To fear God is to shun any form of complaining, murmuring, grumbling, or gossiping. To fear God is to shun any form of complaining, murmuring, grumbling, or gossiping. To fear God is to respect, honor, and submit to his direct and delegated authority. It also obeys the delegated authority, with the only exception being if the authority tells you to sin. The fear of the Lord shapes our intentions, thoughts, words, and actions. Okay, so let's look at a scripture in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 11. It says, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Now listen to this. And his delight is in the fear of the Lord. So if you understand this, it, this is prophesying about Jesus. He's going to be the root of David, the, the root of Jesse, the stem of Jesse. He's going to come. The Spirit of God's going to rest upon him. He's the anointed one. And there's going to be the full expression, the sevenfold Spirit of God that is going to be manifested in and through his life. The fullness of who the Holy Spirit is. Wisdom and understanding. Counsel and might. Knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Which, that means the Holy Spirit is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And Psalms 19 says that the fear of the Lord endures forever, which means we're going to fear God in heaven. <laughs> it's a heavenly reality. 
It's not a tormenting reality. The spirit of fear is a tormenting reality, but the Holy Spirit of the fear of the Lord is a heavenly reality. Because it's not an unholy fear, it is a holy fear. Come on, somebody. That's a good word. And, but, but listen to this. Like, Do you think that Jesus loved the Holy Spirit? Do you think he had a deep fellowship with the Holy Spirit? Well, his delight was in the fear of the Lord. Meaning Jesus' favorite expression of the Holy Spirit was the fear of God. Of all the expressions and manifestations of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' favorite one, his delight was the fear of the Lord. Do you think Jesus was afraid? Was he not the happiest person to ever live? He was anointed with the oil of gladness above all his companions. He carried joy like nobody else. Why? Because it says in Proverbs, I think 8, we'll, we'll read it later, but it says that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And that's a strong word. The word hate means to utterly abhor, to despise and treat with contempt. So that's a great barometer for if you actually walk in the fear of God, do you hate sin or do you tolerate it? Because if you tolerate sin, then that's where you lack the fear of God. That's where you lack the substance, the noble character that Christ walked in. We must be a people that fear God. It's not optional. It says in Isaiah chapter 33 that the fear of the Lord is God's treasure. So it was Jesus' delight and it's the Father's treasure. And it's to hate evil and to shun it entirely. So it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9, that Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy because he loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. He walked in the fear of God. In fact, Jesus taught us to differentiate and understand what the true fear of God is. He said, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, but fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So he, he tells you there's, there's an unholy fear, and it's when you fear things in this world, in this life. But when, when fear is, see, sometimes we're like, we got to just get rid of fear. We make these like big campaigns of like, we got to be fearless. We got to get rid of it. What if we just need to redirect it? And what if in redirecting it, we actually eradicate it? What if it's mis misaligned priorities? That's a good word. Come on. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so his delight, like I want, you to, I want you to meditate on this with me. His delight, Jesus is amazing. He delighted in the fear of the Lord. Sometimes when we talk about the fear of the Lord, people are like, whoa, man, hey, whoa, hey, whoa. And what that does is we act just like the children of Israel who backed away and said, Moses, you can talk to God. And guess what? Didn't work. <laughs> They're like, you, you just talk to him. You can fear God, but, you know, just tell us what he says and we'll do it. They didn't. And when that's our attitude and our hot posture, we won't either. Hallelujah. 
Okay, come on, somebody. Okay. Jeez, okay, we'll come back to that. Hallelujah. All right. Okay, this is, we'll go here. So we'll find that verse in Luke chapter 12. When Jesus said, don't, don't be afraid, if I can find it. I think it's in Luke chapter 12. Yeah, Luke chapter 12. Wow, verse 4, the title says, Jesus teaches on the fear of God. Wow, but it's not a New Testament reality, brother. Huh, the Bible says Jesus teaches on the fear of God. <laughs> and I, let, let's just, I'll, I'll hit these scriptures real quick. Perfect love casts out fear, amen? Unholy fear. Because it's tormenting to people, it afflicts them, and it keeps them from true, genuine reverence and worship of God. It blinds and obscures them from being able to perceive and know what he's really like. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind, right? Those are New Testament writings. Well, the New Testament also says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, uh, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness, which remember, to truly fear God makes his holiness irresistible. You can't help but draw near him. You, you fall radically in love with him, with the true holy fear of God. And it, so it says, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 2 Corinthians 7.1. That was written by Paul. All right. Jesus. So, Luke chapter 12, he says, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid. Everyone say, do not, do not. Be, afraid. be afraid. Remember, one of the, the benefits of the fear of the Lord is peace, safety, and security. Confidence. It produces confidence, boldness. So do not be afraid of what? Those who can kill you. <laughs> Those who can take your life. That's, we're going deep, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Don't be afraid if someone tries to kill you. Awesome. He says, but I say to you, fear him. But listen to why. This is, ah, verse 6. He says, he says, this is why you should fear him. He says, are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, because you are more valuable than many sparrows. Fear him because he values you more than anything or anyone ever will. The value that he, the price tag that he put upon your life was the blood of his own son. And he's like, don't be afraid of anything, but fear him. Understand how valuable, how important you are to God. How important are you? Well, God, for one, one of the reasons that we should value the fear of God and walk in the fear of God is because he sees everything. There's nothing hidden from his sight. 
There was times in Israel's history where when they were completely wayward in sin, worshiping idols, that, that they would say things like, the Lord doesn't even see us. It's, it doesn't matter what we do because he, he doesn't even notice. Complete deception because nothing is hidden from his sight. Every thought you think, every word you say, everything that goes through your mind and heart, every motive of your heart, he sees and knows all. Nothing is hidden. Just think about that for a moment. Just think about how present he really is, even when you don't sense his presence. He hears every thought you think. He knows every word you say. He knows the, this is why it says in Zechariah 7, do not complain in your heart against your brother. God hears it. He knows it. But understand, at the same time, he is thinking thoughts towards you and for you that outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. He's thinking billions and billions and trillions of thoughts about you and for you that are for your good and for your welfare. And he sees everything you're thinking, everything you're saying, everything you're doing, why you're doing it. And he's like, if you would just fear me, come to me, then my good purposes and intentions could be fulfilled in your life. He says, every hair, every hair, every single one is numbered. Now, I want you to catch this. It doesn't say he knows the number of hairs on your head. It says each individual one has been numbered. <laughs> He's numbered everyone. Do you realize how intentionally invested in the details of your life God is? This is why you should fear him, Jesus says. He is so invested in the details of your life. Is that not just an amazing word? Come on. So he sees everything. Nothing is hidden from his sight. Not even your thoughts, motives, intentions of your heart. His desire is for you. He longs for you. He desires you. That's why every hair on your head is numbered. He has more thoughts for you than outweigh the grains of sand on the seashore. And so, oh, Jesus, thank you. <laughs> True intimacy with God or friendship with God is only possible through the fear of the Lord. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. Psalms 25 verse 14. So how many of you want to go into the third room? How many of you want to abide, abide before the Ark of the Covenant, before in, in the presence of the glory of God? Well, it has to become your obsession. It has to become the only thing that puts awe in your heart. When you're in awe of other things, you become distracted from things than the one who holds the universe in the palm of his hand. The fear of the Lord will take you to that place of intimacy because it's to depart from iniquity and perverse speech and evil and pride. The things that have to be left at the altar. Do you remember? 
This is just so good. All right, we're doing good on time, too. Praise the Lord. All right. Let's see. Oh, man. Do you guys want to read a lot of scripture? I got to remember to come back to this page. Don't let me forget. Okay. We're going to read just a bunch of scripture to catch a biblical definition of the fear of God. Amen? Do you want to know what the word says about it? Okay. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So it's the beginning of knowledge. Look at uh, chapter 1, verse 28 and 29. This is the, the person of wisdom speaking. And she says, Then they will call on me, but I won't answer. They'll seek me diligently, but they won't find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. It's a virtue that must be chosen. You have to choose it. You have to recognize the value of it, your need for it, and eagerly desire it. Choose the fear of the Lord. Okay, Proverbs chapter 3. This is awesome. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. The fear of the Lord promotes divine health. It releases life in your body. Come on. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13. The fear of the Lord, here's the definition, is, this is what it is, to hate evil, pride and arrogance, the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. What does Ephesians chapter 4 say? But let, let no corrupt word proceed from your mouth but only what is good for edification to those who hear, that it may impart grace to those who hear. Okay, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Chapter 10, verse 27. The fear of the Lord, here's another promise, it prolongs days. It gives you long life, quality of life, an abundance of quality life, long life. Those that fear God live a long life. Uh, I lost. Oh, there it is. But the years of the wicked will be shortened. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 13 and 14. It says, he who despises the word will be destroyed, but he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. And the law of the wise is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. Okay, 14, 
Verse 2, he who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is perverse in his ways despises him. All right, 14, 26 and 27. These are probably some of my favorite scriptures on the fear of the Lord. Chapter 14 of Proverbs, verse 26 and 27. It says, in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence and his children will have a place of refuge. Meaning the fear of the Lord releases a refuge, a safe haven upon your children. It affects your descendants. The fear of the Lord, verse 27, is, this is probably my favorite definition of the fear of the Lord. <laughs> the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Who wants to drink from a fountain of life? That really begins to change. Oh, wait a minute. It's not to be afraid. It's not to be scared and to want to run away. It causes you to draw near in reverence, in awe, in wonder, in humility and submission to recognize he is God and I am not. And what does it do? It causes you to turn away from the snares of death. What is the snare of death? Sin. Proverbs 15, verse 16. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Proverbs 16, uh, verse 6. In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for. I got to, I need my phone. We got to look at this. This is awesome. Can we, can we get the, the amplified up of this verse? The amplified. Maybe. If not, I'll just read it. I want to see if we, see if we can get it on there. there it is. Okay. By mercy and love, truth and fidelity to God and man, not by sacrificial offerings, iniquity is purged out of the heart. And by the reverent, worshipful fear of the Lord, men depart from and avoid evil. Purged from your heart. Purity. One of the, one of the benefits of the fear of the Lord is purity. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Proverbs 19, thank you for that. Proverbs 19, verse 23. It says, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction, and he will not be visited with evil. Let's read that again. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction, and he will not be visited with evil. To connect that to Deuteronomy, I think it's chapter 14, it says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. That's a good word, huh? Actually, I think that's in Psalms. But yeah, Jesus. <laughs> okay, Proverbs 22, verse 4. 
We're doing okay on time. 22 verse 4 says, oh, this is amazing. Okay, how many of you would, would like to have riches, honor, and life? Okay, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Another, another translation says the reward, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. You know that's what Solomon had? Because he, he began his journey with the fear of the Lord. But he didn't treasure it. Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord. It, it's God's treasure. Isaiah 36, 33 verse 6. It said, well, did we read it earlier or did I just quote it? We need to read it. So if it's God's treasure, how much more should it be ours? If it's the treasure of God, how much more should it be ours? Isaiah 33, we'll start in verse 5, 5 and 6. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness. Wisdom. How many of you want wisdom? Amen. Say, I need wisdom. God, give me wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and the strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. So notice that it's, it starts with the Lord is exalted. He, he dwells on high and then it ends with and the fear of the Lord is his treasure. It's his treasure. Solomon didn't treasure it and he lost it. He started with it. Amen. Well, not amen, but we need to be a people that start with it and end with it. Amen? That's what Jesus is after. A people for himself. Okay, Proverbs 23, verse 17. It says, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all your days. Be zealous for the fear of the Lord. All the day. Okay. The person that fears God has nothing to hide. The person that's scared of God has something to hide. The, the fear of the Lord produces security, right? We've we read that in multiple things. It produces confidence. Which This tells me this. The fear of the Lord will deliver you from insecurity. If it produces confidence and makes you strong and secure, then the fear of the Lord will deliver you from insecurity. Why? Most, most insecurities are rooted in the fear of man. And holy fear will deliver us from unholy fear. We need to ask for that. Say, Heavenly Father, Holy Father, deliver us from unholy fear and deliver us to holy fear in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. All right, let's look at something. One of the benefits of the fear of the Lord is friendship with God. Amen? 
So how many of you know some of the people that were called friends of God in Scripture? Can you, someone shout them out? Abraham, Moses. We'll, we'll stick with Abraham and Moses, amen? What about the, the disciples? At the end of their discipleship, Jesus says, now I call you friends. Psalms 25, verse 14. This, this translation says, the secret of the Lord, the secret. How many of you know, want to know the secrets of the Lord? Jesus said, it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. So it says, the secret of the Lord, an, another way, another translation says, the secrets of the Lord are with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. You know what's profound about that? How, we, we know that God is all-knowing. He's all-wise. But do you think about the fact that he understands and knows how to solve every problem in the universe in a moment? He has the solution. He knows the solution to everything. But to us, they're mysteries. There's so many problems in the world, we don't know how to find them. We don't know how to work it out. Well, he's like, if you want to know the secrets of the Lord, well, they're for those who fear him. Not as like a you can't have them. No, it's like this is the access way. You can, you can try to, to like climb over the wall some other way, and be like, give me the secrets. And he's like, there's a front door. It's called fear. The holy fear of God, the reverence of God, the awe of God. It, it's the access point. It's been made available to you. It's been given to you to know the mysteries. Okay. Well, this is amazing. Back in verse 12 of Psalms 25, he says, Who is the man... Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him, that man, shall God, he, teach in the way he chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity. The fear of the Lord produces prosperity. And his descendants shall inherit the earth. Your descendants will be blessed if you fear the Lord. And the secret of the Lord is for those who fear him. Another translation, my preferred translation says, my, my preferred is not a translation. I'm saying <laughs> the translation I prefer for this verse, it says that the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he will show them his covenant. Okay, so let's look at a man named Abraham. Okay, um, how many of you know the story of Genesis chapter 22? Thank you. Come on. It's when God, it says, we'll read it. It's just amazing. So the Bible says in Isaiah 66, God says, this is the one that I will look upon, show favor to. He who is humble and contrite in heart and who trembles at my word. Trembles at my word. Now, what does it mean to tremble at his word? I think it's funny. The Hebrew definition of tremble means to violently shake. <laughs> but to tremble at his word uh, means five things. Number one, we'll obey him immediately. Immediate obedience. We're going to see this in the, the, the story of, of Abraham. Um, it means we'll obey him even if it doesn't make sense. 
right? Proverbs 3, don't lean on your own understanding. And then it leads into the fear of the Lord. Obey him immediately, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it doesn't show any personal gain. There's no personal benefit from what what he asks you to do. Even if it's painful, and you'll obey him, number five, to completion, meaning until everything he has said is done. Immediately, even if it doesn't make sense, even if there's no personal gain, even if it's painful, until everything he says is done. Amen? So we're going to see this in Abraham. Sacrifice your son. That doesn't make any sense. He's the promise. There's definitely no personal gain to that, and that's sure going to be painful. But I'm going to do it anyways, and I'm going to obey you to completion. Jesus at the cross It says that he humbled himself in obedience, even unto death. Painful, no personal benefit. So Genesis 22. Now, this is awesome, okay? It says, it came came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. Now, when you take a test, what is the point of being tested? Find out where your strengths are. If, if you're, you know, in fourth grade, fifth, or let's say, let's say, you know, 11th grade, and your teacher has been teaching you all year long about, you know, history, whatever, and then they give you a test, what are, what is the, why is the teacher giving you a test? They want to see what you know. They want to see if what they gave you is now inside of you. The test is going to reveal what's in. What's in here? So it says in Deuteronomy chapter 8 that God led the children of Israel around the wilderness. He humbled them, made them uh, feed man- or live on manna so that he could see what was in their heart. That's amazing. So God is... Testing Abraham because he wants to see if there is something inside of him. Could it be? Well, we'll get there in a minute. Okay, so he says, Abraham. And he said, here I am. I love that. Think about that. Immediate. He hears the voice of God. Call his name. Here I am. Yes, Lord. What is it that you are asking of me? He doesn't be like, oh, the Lord's calling my name. You know, get to it in a minute. You know, you, some, you know, some people, you know, you'll see them calling. You're like, uh, in, I'm in a meeting. I'm like, I'll just have to call him back. You know, if, my, if I'm in a meeting and my wife calls me, I'm like, sorry, I got, my wife's calling. You know, doesn't matter what meeting it is, really. I'm like, got to honor my wife. You know, what if it's an emergency? What if the baby needs something? But if I'm in a meeting with someone and someone's calling, it's like, I'll, hey, I'll have to call you back, you know? I'll just have to get to it later. But with Abraham, he's like, the Lord's calling immediate obedience. Here I am. And then this is what the Lord says. Abraham, uh, please take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Now look at this. 
Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning. God spoke, and he's like, I'm getting up early, and we're doing this thing. Doesn't even second guess it. Doesn't question the Lord. He's like, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> That's amazing. I want to be like that. Do you want to be like that? Do you want to be found to be like Abraham? So he rose early in the morning, saddled his young donkey, or saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac, his son. He split the wood for the burnt offering. Think about that. How many of you guys have fireplaces? How many of you split wood? Think about rising early in the morning, right after God spoke to you. You start splitting wood, and you're like, my son's going on this altar. Think about that. That's crazy. So it says, Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and the lad and I will go yonder and worship. It's the first time worship is mentioned in the scriptures. And we will come back to you. I love that. He said, We will come back to you. He had a confident trust in God. He's like, I'm going to do whatever you say, but I'm pretty sure you don't actually intend for me to kill him. We're coming back. And even if I do, you're going to raise him from the dead because he's the promise. That's what Hebrews 11 says. It says he believed that God would even raise him from the dead, and he received him back from the dead in a type. Hebrews 11, the faith of Abraham. He's like, we're going we're gonna to come back to you. That's amazing. I want that kind of faith, man. I want, I want us to have that. So he said, we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son. This is a type of Jesus carrying his cross. He took the fire in his hand. I'm not even sure what that means. <laughs> and a knife. And the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar, placed the wood on it, and he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar. This is you know, obviously there's kind of a turning point here where Isaac is like, oh, that's what we're doing. <laughs> when your dad starts binding you, puts you on the altar. And, and, and I've seen like TV shows about this that, that are like basically, you know, Abraham just looks crazy. Isaac is crazy traumatized, like, my dad tried to kill me. And then Sarah's like, Abraham, you wicked man. Like, how could you do this? And he's like, I'm just trying to obey God. And it's like, that is not at all what was going on in this story. Not even close. I guarantee you, Isaac's like, this is what the Lord said? Abraham's like, yep. He's like, okay. And in this moment, there's later in the book of Genesis that Scripture calls God, the fear of Isaac. I guarantee you this moment marked him with the fear of the Lord, a healthy fear of the Lord. Not a God's this cosmic monster that tried to kill me and I'm really scared. 
That's not what, that's not what was put in Isaac. Do you get it? Are you seeing it? This is amazing. So, so again, what is the purpose of a test? To see if something's in you. So, so he raises his, the hand to slay his knife, verse 10. And then verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said again, here I am. I've just done what you asked, Lord. Here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. The test was the test of the fear of the Lord. Abraham, I want to see if you treasure what I treasure. I want to see if my values are your values. And now I know that they are. This was the same test in Exodus 20 at Mount Sinai. It was different, but it was the same. Why? Because it was the test of the fear of the Lord. Let's look at it in Exodus 20. We're doing so good on time. So I love this because it says, it says in Exodus 19, the Lord said, I brought you out of Egypt so that you could come to me on this mountain that you would worship me. What did Abraham and Isaac go to a mountain to do? To worship. God says, Israel, I brought you out of bondage to come to me. Intimacy, closeness, connection, fellowship. But God, I, I need to see if there's something in you, Israel, for that to happen. For us to be friends, that requires something of, of me inside of you. So he says in, in Exodus 20, the, the Lord speaks, he's come down, fire, crazy, glorious, terrifying, wonderful. And the people, it says in verse 18, when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. They're like, this is not for us. <laughs> uh, no, why? Because they didn't fear God. Total difference. They didn't fear God. They were afraid of him. So they wanted to stay away from him. But when you fear God, you can't help but draw near to him. Do you know in Jeremiah, I think it's 32, verse 40, God talks about making, uh, you know, in Jeremiah 32, he talks about making a new covenant. And then he says, uh, I think it's in verse 40, it's somewhere in there. He says, I'm going to give you a new heart. And he says, and I'm going to put my fear in you so that you'll never depart from me. Jesus talks about he who abides in me and I in him. How many of you want to abide in Christ? He says, the secret to never departing, to abiding, is to have the fear of God in your heart. Okay. 
So the people stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. Verse 20, and Moses said to the people, do not fear. Don't be afraid for God has come to test you. Why? So that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. One of the benefits of the fear of the Lord is a life of purity and freedom from sin. We read in Proverbs, you won't be visited by evil. You won't be visited by evil. It says in another place that he who fears God will sleep peaceably and be in rest. I want that. Do you see your need for this? Do you see the value of it? Do you see why God treasures it? Can you see what it is and what it isn't? Come on. Okay. I'm going to rattle off a few. We're going to look at some more verse. Can we look at more scripture? Is that okay? Jesus. I I've got to finish reading this. In Exodus 20, don't be afraid, for God has come to test you, that his fear may be before you. It's the test of the fear of the Lord, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses, Moses is called a friend of God as well, says he drew near the thick darkness where God was. He drew near the thick darkness where God was. I want to look at something in the Gospel of John. It, um, let me see if I can find it. John, oh, Jesus. I just want to give you tons of scripture on this, okay? So you have a biblical understanding, amen? That you'd be edified, encouraged, built up, strengthened, amen? John chapter 2, verse 23 through 24. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, notice we talked about how God can see everything, right? He knows every thought you think. He knows the motives of your heart. Okay, so the title of, in my Bible says, Jesus, the discerner of hearts. It says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name. How are you saved? By faith, by believing. Okay, so many believed, right? Are you believers? Is everyone in believers? What constitutes being a Christian? Being a believer. But not every Christian is a friend of God. Okay? So read this. Many believed, which is awesome. We want to see, you know, the whole peninsula come to faith. <coughs> Amen. Many believed when they saw the signs which he did. Verse 24. But Jesus did not commit himself to them. Another translation says Jesus did not entrust himself to them. He didn't share the intimate secrets of his heart with them. That's for friends, those who fear him. Jesus did not, in, so, so I want you to catch this. They believed in him. Okay, the church, if you're a part of the church, that means you believe in him. But that doesn't mean he entrusts himself to you. Every friend of God is a believer, but not every believer is a friend of God. 
It says, because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Only, only men that have the fear of the Lord in him does he entrust himself to. Okay. Now, here, here's why, okay? You know, it's not like a... Most who believed were not reliable. He couldn't rely upon them. They were very fickle. Come and go. They were not committed, right? They followed at a distance. Some of them followed secretly, only when it benefited them. And many of his disciples left, and even Judas betrayed him. So because of their lack of reliability, he didn't entrust himself to them. But look at this. In Luke chapter 22, are you still with me? Am I going too long? We got some more time. You still with me? Luke 22, verse 28. This is the Last Supper. He says, he says to his disciples, but you are those who have stayed with me in my trials. Meaning they've proven themselves trustworthy. You are those who have stayed with me. You haven't left like the others. So then in John 15, the best scripture ever, not, not the best one, the whole Bible is, but <laughs> he tells them in verse 14, you are my, so you, meaning he's, oh, get this as well. Judas already left. In John chapter 13, Judas left. So chapter 14 through 17, Judas never even heard. The secrets of the Lord are for those who fear him. Judas never heard these words. He wasn't there. So he tells the 11, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And he says, and you are my friends. If you do whatever I command you. He who trembles at my word. <coughs> he who trembles at my word, right? No longer do I call you Servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I've made known to you, meaning I've shared with you the secrets of my heart. And you have become my friends, and I can trust you with that which has been entrusted to me. That's just a good word. Look at Psalm 119. This goes right along with this. Psalm 119, verse 63. It says, I am a companion of all who fear you. I'm a friend to everyone who fears you. Amen? Okay. Psalm, we're going to look at a couple more things. Amen? Is this good? There's so much on this. It's amazing. I'm going to get you out of here by, by the start of the next service. <laughs> it's going to happen. Psalm 112. This is like the coolest psalm in the world. Okay? There are uh, 10 benefits of the fear of God listed in this one psalm. Psalm 112. Okay, do you want to know 
what it looks like for a man to fear God, read Psalm 112. But let's start in uh, Psalm 111, verse 10. Okay, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Psalm 112, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness will endure forever. Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. A good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he will never be shaken. He will never be shaken. The man that fears God. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. He'll be remembered forever. He will not be afraid of evil things. The Amplified says, he will not fear bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established, he will not be afraid, until he sees his desire upon his enemies. And it just goes on. So there's 10 benefits, okay? From the fear of the Lord, just from this one psalm. This person has success, successful children. His children are successful. This person is wealthy. The good things this person does will last forever. This person will not be overcome by evil. This person will be long remembered. Think about that. This person will not be overcome by evil. And they'll be long remembered. This person will not be afraid of bad news. This person is confident. This person is fearless. This person has influence. And this person has honor. They're a person of dignity. I would encourage you to read Psalm 34 on your own time. A little bit into the psalm, it says, Come, you children, and let me teach you about the fear of the Lord. And it goes through what it looks like to walk in it. It's really beautiful. I'm gonna, we're going to read one more thing. Psalm chapter 2. It says, my son, listen to these words. My son, how many of you are children of God? Okay, listen. If you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek for her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Would you stand with me? One of the greatest blessings of the fear of God is his manifest presence and a life of purity, being washed clean, living in victory over sin and evil, utterly abhorring it and shunning it. So if you are in this place and you're like, I recognize the importance of the fear of the Lord. 
I recognize the value of it, the supreme value of it, the, the, why it's to be treasured. And you're like, I really desperately want the fear of God. You want to eagerly search for it. You want to treasure it as you would silver and gold all the days of your life. I want to just invite you to come to the altar right now and let's just have a moment where we just, we just take the time to worship him. The Bible says that God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of his saints. He says, those who come near me must regard me as holy. He, his, 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 his holiness is beautiful. It's wonderful. And so if you would just lift your hands and say, Heavenly Father, Holy Father, we want the fear of the Lord. Baptize us in the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Deliver us from every unholy fear and fill us with the holy fear of God so that we would love you and worship you and obey you all our days. Holy Spirit, come. We need the spirit of the fear of the Lord. God, we're asking you for a fresh fire, for a fresh wind. We want more of you. I want to read this. I wrote this down. Could I, could I have Amy come up? Keep your attention on the Lord. If she's in here, maybe. If not, it's okay. I want to read this. In, in Revelation chapter 4, chapter 5, John has this encounter. And it says that, that he sees the throne. And around the throne was this beautiful worship, these four living creatures. And man, I can't find it. Where to go? Oh, it's Revelation 4. That's why. It says that they don't cease, they don't have, they don't rest day or night, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And I, I was thinking about this. I'm like, why three holies? Because there's a holy father, there's a holy son, and there's a holy spirit. <clears throat> and in, in biblical writing, for someone to repeat a word means it's very important. So Jesus would say, verily, verily, I say to you. But rarely would the writers of scripture take a word to the third degree. And when they would do that, what that meant was that to emphasize a word to that would express the highest degree of quality, making this um, <coughs> supreme, the most eminent, and surpassing all others. Meaning God's holiness is the highest degree of holiness. It is supreme holiness. It is the most eminent holiness, and it surpasses all others in holiness. Holy, holy, holy. Now there, there's three things that the church was birthed in. These three things you can find in Acts chapter two and three. The, the church was birthed in fire, the church was birthed in fear, and the church was, was birthed in fellowship. 
there was holy fire, there was holy fear, and there was holy fellowship. Now there is an unholy fellowship with the world, much like Lot. Lot chose the, the fellowship of the ungodly over a consecrated and separated life. And by coming before God in his holiness and turning away from, from evil, and, but loving righteousness and hating lawlessness, pursuing a holy fellowship with God and one another, Jesus will get a holy people for himself that are, have been made holy like the Holy One. Amen? So I just want to take a moment to, to just worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Amen? Can we do that?
How many of you can sense the presence of the Lord right now? How many of you feel washed? Amen. Isn't that wonderful? Would you lift your hands again? Say, Father God, I choose the fear of the Lord and to treasure this precious virtue. May it be found in my heart all the days of my life. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you so much for watching. I hope you were blessed and encouraged. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel for more amazing content. Thank you.